0: It is such an honor for us to get together in the name of the Lord, and I just felt prompted to say, Jim Gingrich, I love your heart. You have walked with the Lord a long time, and your communion thoughts are deeply touching and draw us closer to the Lord, so thank you very much, okay? You can always tell when the Lord's working and and drawing people close because they're so sensitive, you know, and just feel so honored to, to speak the Word of God. January the 20th. We have had a call for prayer and fasting for the month of January by this eldership. In week one, we just prepared our hearts And we're asking the question out of Luke chapter 5, Lord, how will you, can you use me to get someone else into your presence? It seems, Lord, that your whole focus in coming to this earth was to seek and save the lost. And if that is what is closest to your heart then what does it say about me if it's not what's closest to mine? Maybe it is because in all areas of our lives it is easy for us to be distracted from the very heart of what God is all about. Today, we're talking about distractions and what they bring about in our lives. So as we prepared our hearts reading Luke 5, how do we get others into the presence of Jesus in this world that is so negative and even hostile to God? We looked at Psalm 32 that said before that's going to happen, we have to humble ourselves before the Lord. And we need to look at our lives. And there may be sin that we need to confess. And then we need to repent and turn away from that sin and draw near to God and give Him praise for blotting out our iniquities, our sins, our transgressions. And giving us a message. A message in which to share. I hope and pray that you took seriously the prayer and fasting guide in that week one of preparing your heart and your mind and your spirit. Because that led us into week two of what will we give up with the mouth. What, what food item will we give up? And there was a lot of different responses of what people were giving up, which led us into week two of what we would also give up with the mouth in terms of what would we stop saying and what would we begin saying in relationship to people, which is a challenging Thing to do if you're giving up something that you would normally say about someone that is negative or critical or demeaning. It happened to me. There's this individual in my family that we just don't see eye to eye, and I'm sure you can imagine uh, there's a lot of reasons for that, and Jesus is probably the main one. And my sister called me, and she said, oh, She's had the flu. And David says that she's been so sick that they have just been throwing up for four or five days straight. And my first thought in that car was, how many times did she throw up? How sick was she? But the Lord you know how much you love Jesus, Patrick, by the way you treat people when you know you don't like them. So what I said last week, you know, it grabbed me. Like, so I've got to say good things and i got to say right things. You see, unless your heart's prepared as you give up mill, drawing close to the Lord, and then go into that place where I'm going to talk differently. I'm going to speak different words. Unless you're prepared for it, the next thing you know, you'll be distracted and you'll be going down that path of, now how sick was she? How did you speak last week? What positive words did you speak into someone's life? Because the words of God are sweet. And now we are here to Sunday, January the 20th, where it's a day of celebration, and we can focus and just eat and enjoy all the blessings that come from the hand of God. But then tomorrow comes. And then we decide, what will I give up in terms of media? will i give up the internet for a set period of time if it doesn't affect my work will i get off of facebook instagram pinterest what will i give up for the lord someone says this call to prayer and fasting what's the purpose I hope that you've seen the purpose is not just to give up food and say, hey, look, God, how much I love you. I'm going to give something up. But in the giving up, in the prayer and fasting for the purpose of drawing closer to God, is there anyone in here that really in your spiritual walk thinks that you couldn't draw a little closer to the Lord? We all could draw closer to the Lord, right? We all can draw closer to the Lord. And this next text out of Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 is an odd text to select for a call to prayer and fasting but you just hold on, because we're going to get there. This is what the Hebrew writer says. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, read it with me, so that we do not drift away. Now, in context, what this writer is saying that we Cannot must not allow ourselves to drift away from is the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And the following verses, the essence is God worked through His holy angels to deliver His will and word to the prophets and His people in the past but in these last days He has spoken through the Son. And if you take serious the words of the angels and every penalty of not being obedient to their word was punished by God, how much more so when it comes to the one and only unique Son of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is is supreme. And so this writer looking at the people has this message that you and I and they must be very careful in our Christian walk not to drift away from the reality of who Jesus is and the power and the truth behind his word and teaching. But drifting away is something that takes place in people's lives. Now, I would clarify that this drifting away is not falling away. It's not talking about losing your salvation here. It's talking about there is a slipping, literally a slipping or a gliding by something that you must hold dear in your heart. And the writer uses this imagery of a boat and says, you know, you're drifting, and if you put a boat out on a lake or on a river, in most cases there's wind and there's current, And that boat, without an anchor, drifts away. Now, how far it drifts away, we don't know. But we know it drifts away. And the point is, when a person gets distracted, and the supremacy and value of who Christ is to them begins to go out of focus... And they begin to look and see and do and be a part of other things. And Jesus isn't the one thing, the most important thing. Drifting takes place and there's consequences to drifting. And I say to you, the most important thing that any of us can do in this call to prayer and fasting is to draw nearer to the Lord To set our anchor in Jesus Christ and know that you have to set that anchor again and again. To pay careful attention to your life. To examine your life. To see where you are in relationship to Jesus Christ and is He truly reigning supreme in your life. Because we can all get closer. We can all set the anchor. We don't have to drift all the time. And if we're paying more careful attention, when we begin to drift, we'll be more aware of it. And so, as we fast from a media Things such as Facebook or whatever it might be, it just might be that that Facebook or that internet is something in your life that as you give it up for a day, a week, or a month, that the Lord shows you there is something in your life that is so controlling you that has your attention too much rather than it being your eyes on him now i've talked to some people already about what are they going to give up and facebook is a hard one for people to give up this week What will you give up for the Lord to ask what is it in my life that's allowing me to drift away from you? And Lord, help me to set my anchor in the truth of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Is your anchor set or does it need to be reset? But set your anchor so that you don't drift. Consequences to drifting. Anytime one gets away from the Lord, the most usual confi- con- the distractions, most usually, are anxiety, stress, Fear, hopelessness, panic, worry. Those those are the biggies. Listen to this text out of Luke chapter 10. And we're going to just focus here in a minute on one part of the verse. But I refer to this passage a lot because it just is so fitting for distractions. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. A wonderful family. A family that would come to know Jesus and love Jesus, and Lazarus would even experience the resurrection from the dead by Jesus Christ after he died. Well, in this story, Martha invites Jesus, who has come into Bethany, to their home, and she's invited his disciples for this meal. And she is making the preparations for the food. And Mary, it says, is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus is teaching. Martha sees everything that's going on and is distracted and upset and says to Jesus, Lord, don't you care that my sister Mary's not helping me with the preparations for the food? And I think most of us might even be able to relate to what Martha was feeling. I remember in Eagleville, Tennessee, when I first started out preaching the ladies' class they met and that was a discussion and they sympathized with Martha and they just couldn't get past why Jesus didn't scold Mary. But the point is, Jesus says to Martha, Martha, you are distracted by a great many things. And the result of your distraction is that it's causing you to be worried and upset. Because you want to control the situation and your sister, because she's not acting and doing what you think she should be doing in this time and moment. And Jesus, the author of life, says, to Martha, I'm not going to take this away from Mary because she's chosen the one thing. She's chosen the most important thing. And the imagery of Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus trumps the hard work The meal preparation of Martha. We can get so distracted in our lives, like Martha, we get the priorities wrong instead of sitting at the feet of Jesus and worrying about the meal or letting Jesus even take care of it. Martha's all stressed out. Distractions. If Satan, the deceiver, is one who sets snares to capture you, he often does it through distracting you, getting your priorities wrong. Sometimes you hear people say, doesn't God love me? Doesn't God care about me? Why is God punishing me? Why is this happening? And we say, now listen, don't judge me too heartily, we say ungodly things like that because we are distracted. Because in our hearts we know that God is our shield, He is our mighty tower, He is our defender. The one that He's put in us is stronger than the one that's in the world. That God sends His angel to camp around those who love Him and are faithful to Him. And so what is taking place is God is showing Martha through Jesus Christ your focus is wrong. There is nothing good for us, at least in our terms that we see, other than maybe God is communicating to us but it's not fun to worry anybody in here ever worry maybe you're worrying today how am i going to pay the bill how am i going to fix the car what about that doctor's appointment what about this sickness that i'm dealing with do not Slip away. Do not let your mind and your heart and your spirit drift away from the supremacy of Jesus Christ in your life. Either He is supreme or He is not. And when He's supreme, we may drift. And we may worry. And we can get upset. And we can become confused. And we can get a little down. But we quickly re focus, and draw close to the Lord, and then peace, real peace, flows back into our life. Now I'm telling you a spiritual principle and truth. If you're angry, frustrated, hopeless, worried, upset, stressed, under great tension feel like you're going to panic, feel like you're going to fall apart, it's because you are drifting away from the Lord. And it does not have to be that way. There's another story in Matthew chapter 14. The story that we all know well, love it, Jesus has been teaching the people. He's fed 5,000 people miraculously, 5,000 men specifically, as well as women and children. So we really don't know how many people on that day Jesus fed. The disciples are marveling at who he is. This really is the Son of God. So they're right there in that moment getting to see the hand of God work in their lives like we get to see God's hand work in our lives. And in that moment it's like, wow, you are real and you are mighty and you are powerful. You are the Son of God. And Jesus sends them across the lake, headed to Gennesaret. And as they go, a storm comes up. And it is quite a storm with massive waves and a horrible wind. And they are rowing for their lives, the Gospels tell us. And then Jesus sees them and he goes out walking on water. And they see something coming at them and they think it's a ghost. They get scared. And as Jesus gets closer, they recognize who it is, and he says, don't be afraid, it's me. And he confirms that with them. And this is where Peter says, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus says, come. Peter steps out of the boat and is walking on water. Supremacy of Christ. Focused on the Lord. No worry. No concern. All is good. No panic. Walking on a lake with buffeting waves and powerful winds. Which he looks at and begins to sink. And he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt and not believe? But the point here, like the point with Martha, Peter, you were doing so well. And then you looked away from me. And you begin to sink. When you look away from the Lord, no matter what the distraction, He don't love me. She don't like me. I don't have a boyfriend. I'm not handsome. I'm not pretty. I'm not smart. I've got nothing to offer. When you look away, because of the distractions that the evil one will put in your path, you start to drift away. You start to sink. Peter panicked. He went from solid, strong, happy, walking on water to deep panic. It's the way it is with our lives. It just It's the way it is. There's so many ups and downs. Those deep valleys and those mountain peaks. But hopefully as we walk with the Lord longer and longer and come to know Him, we find ourselves drawing ever near, always anchoring, always focused on His supremacy in our lives so that the anxieties and the stresses and all the fears and concerns don't dominate our lives. Where are you right now in that? Are you walking on water or are you beginning to sink? Are you anchored to the Lord or are you drifting away? Where are you? Be honest, where are you? There is a beautiful Old Testament passage that has the same idea of the Mary and Martha and the Peter walking on water reality of, I'm doing great, and now I am in survival mode. And so, out of First Kings chapter 19, I want to sort of take us in context by looking at 1 Kings 17, 18, just give you a little bit of background to that story. It is the great prophet Elijah. It comes at a time that most scholars will say is approximately a hundred years after King David reigned and the kingdom of God was united under one kingdom. But a hundred years later, you know, we are living in a divided kingdom The ten tribes of the north and the two tribes of the south. The kingdom is divided. And the people of God, Israel, have abandoned God in so many ways. And the biggest way is idolatry. Out of this Three chapters comes a beautiful reminder of James chapter 4. If you get a chance, look at James chapter 4. Probably the most abused text in Christendom among people who want to believe that their prayers, if they do them right, and they get in the right position, and they're in the right place, and they squint hard enough, that God it has to do for them, because they've done it all right. It's where Elijah it says, Elijah prayed, and there was no rain for three and a half years. And then again, Elijah prayed, and it rained. Right? Remember that passage? You do it right, say it right, want it badly enough and are humble and love God, God's going to give you what you pray for. It's got nothing to do with our prayer and fasting. So you get into 1 Kings chapter 17, and we meet Ahab, who does not like Elijah. Ahab is king over Israel. He's married to a very wicked woman called Jezebel. God is punishing the people of Israel. Ahab calls Elijah just a a troublemaker, but he's God's prophet. In 1 Kings 17, Elijah tells King Ahab the rain is going to dry up for several years, and it won't rain again until I speak the word. Now we know from 1 Kings 18, it's not his word. It's the word of the Lord coming to him, Elijah. Because in chapter 18, verse 1, God is saying, I'm ready to bring the rain now. The time has come for me to bring the rain. But there's a lot of things right now that's got to happen before that rain comes but I'm going to bring the rain and and you tell Ahab and you get ready to go pray and, and you go up on Mount Carmel and you're going to bow, put your head between your knees and you're going to pray and then I'm going to send the rain. God had given Elijah his word, tell Ahab it's not going to rain. And it didn't. It wasn't Elijah Now tell Ahab, it's going to rain. Three and a half years later. And it did. It wasn't Elijah. It was God. God gave him his word. And he just prayed in response to God's word. And God fulfilled what he said he would do. God. Because he's supreme. Elijah is his servant. Well... As the story develops, Jezebel is killing all of God's prophets. Now she is the wife of the king, Ahab, the king of Israel. God's man, supposedly. 450 prophets of Baal. 450 prophets of Asherah. 900 prophets is what is in the story. And they are her prophets. And Ahab just goes along with it. And the people of Israel are going along with it, worshiping false gods. Obadiah, a servant of King Ahab, a godly man that has loved the Lord since he was a little boy, has hidden a hundred of God's prophets, fifty in each cave. You can never find Elijah. He's never around. He's always just going here and there and everybody's looking for him because you need his word to get things straightened out. And that's why Ahab's mad because he needs it to rain. And here comes Elijah out of nowhere and there's Obadiah. And Elijah says, go tell Ahab I'm here and I want to talk to him. And Obadiah says, look, if I go tell him that you want to talk to him, and then the next minute the Spirit carries you off somewhere else and we can't find you, he'll kill me. And have you not heard what I have done for the prophets of God and how I fed and watered and protected and hid them? Elijah says, I will see Ahab today. And Elijah says to Ahab, after Ahab says you're a troublemaker, Elijah squares off with him and says, no, I'm not a troublemaker. But at you and your father's line, you're the trouble because you've abandoned the word and the will of the Heavenly Father. You have drifted totally away. And your wife has killed prophet after prophet. She's wicked and she's evil. Now call all of Israel to Mount Carmel. And call all of the prophets. And Ahab did. And here we are for this beautiful picture of what God is doing before He sends the rain. And they're on Mount Carmel. All these false prophets and all the people of Israel, and Elijah issues the challenge. You need to choose who you're going to serve. Because as you, you serve Baal, you're sort of limping along. Uses the word limp. You're serving a false god and and you're limping along in serving him. This is what we'll do. I'll take a bull, you take a bull. We'll cut it up into pieces. You call on your God first. And whoever sends the fire that devours the sacrifice, then that is the real God. And you need to choose who God is. And the people are like really quiet, which is sad. And so the prophets of Baal cut their gold into pieces. They start praying for their God to send down fire to consume the sacrifice. They start early in the morning. They go to noon. Nothing's happening. They go to about midday. Now Elijah starts to taunt them. Where is your God? Maybe He's relieving Himself. Maybe He's tired. Maybe He's asleep. So on and so forth. And nothing comes of it. But then Elijah's turn comes and he says really what is the heart of what is the most important thing in the text. He says to them in verse thirty eight I want you to like listen to this really close <clears throat> at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you are Lord, you are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. We got a little while. <laughs> I'll listen for me. You're turning their hearts back. Don't miss that. Here they are, obstinate, rebellious. They have drifted away from their God. And God, who loves His chosen people, intervenes. And as Elijah prays, fire comes down and the sacrifice is consumed after they've doused it in probably 12 gallons of water. Just consumed. Now here is a key point. Please really get this one. It is God and God alone who turns our hearts to Him. We respond in faith. We respond in belief. But God is the one that is turning the hearts. You and I can't fabricate that. It's, it's God that does it, and so if you're here today, and you've been distracted, and you've been drifting away, and you're panicked, and you're nervous, and you're confused, and you're worried, it don't have to be that way, but you can't pray hard enough, give up enough stuff that it's going to change, and all of a sudden you're going to be walking in peace. That's shallow, it's superficial. Only God can change the heart. So what do we pray? Oh God, like David in Psalm 32, save me from my sin. Blot out my iniquity. Lord, I come before You, bowed down with head bowed and hands lifted. And I ask You, Lord, soften my heart. Turn me back to you. It's a cry to God to change who we are. Lord, show me whatever I need to give up in my life, in this world, so that I can do it, so that I can hear you better, and that you will choose to bless me and make me more sensitive. Have you ever looked at your life, if you've walked with the Lord a long time, like Jim Gingrich has? Maybe look to your life, Go. why am I here? Why am I doing this? How did I get here? Was it all because of me? No. The Lord turned your heart. And this morning, I want you to see that the Lord can turn your heart away from the distractions and back to Him. So, God is God. Fire rains down. The people are amazed. Oh, yes, yeah, we see it now. It's not Baal. It's Yahweh's Yahweh. And Elijah commands, gather up all these prophets to the people. And they slaughter them. Kill every one of them. And then, Elijah says, it's going to rain. So you can leave here, you need to go fast because the roads are going to get real muddy. And then word comes to Elijah that Jezebel says, if by this time tomorrow you're not a dead man, then I'm nothing. I'm coming after you. Now he has just saw fire fall from the sky the hand of God, he's on the mountain peak, he's trusting the Lord. If by this time tomorrow you're not a dead man, I'm nothing, says Jezebel. And the text tells us a great fear comes over Elijah and he takes off. He's on the run, running for his life. He goes about a day out into the wilderness and is exhausted. Sits under a little bush. Tells the Lord, I'm ready to die. Isn't that the way we are? I'm ready to die. Everything's falling apart. I'm the only one left. Nobody else cares. He's so weak that God sends angels to feed him and give him water. Now, here the God that is supreme in our lives sees His servant go from trusting the Lord to losing focus out of panic and fear and now is on the run because Jezebel's going to try to kill him and he's so hopeless, it's like, just take me now, Lord. I'm tired of this way of life. But the angel feeds him and God says, get up, eat again for a second time because you are going to take a journey that's 40 days and 40 nights with no food, no water. And you don't have the strength without this food and water to make it, so I give it to you. And he ends up after a 40-day and 40-night journey on the mountain of God, Mount Horeb. Goes into a cave, lays down and rests, exhausted, and God makes Himself known. He he hears something, and God says, I'm getting ready to pass by, so come and stand at the mouth of the cave. So Elijah pulled his cloak over his head, stood at the mouth of the cave. And there was this wind that was so great that it was blowing rocks down and causing all kinds of chaos. The text says God was not in that. He caused it, but He wasn't in it. And then there was an earthquake. God caused it, but He wasn't in it. And then there was a fire. Fire. God caused it, but He wasn't in it. And then there was a gentle voice. A gentle voice. A whisper, the text says. And you know what that voice of God said to Elijah? Because He's in this whisper. Elijah, what are you doing here? I've let you run. I've given you a lot of rope, I've taken care of you and and here you come, you sit down, you're tired, now I'm going to reveal myself, what are you doing here? How could you drift so far away from me after I've shown myself to you so often? because Elijah got distracted. And in that distraction, he panicked and fear overtook him. And when those scenarios happen in our lives, if we are not just wholeheartedly, devotedly centered in God, sitting at the feet of Jesus, we will panic and run and cause more problems and difficulties for ourselves than we ever have to experience. But the reality is God will still be there, always there, giving us the rope until we wear ourselves out and says, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. This is not where I want you. Now get up and return the exact same way you came. I've got things I need you to do. So this morning, as we sit here, I'm sure, probably if it's not all of us, there's worry, there's concern. There's fear, there's trepidation, there's panic, there's what are we going to do? And I'm saying, please, please make Jesus your anchor. Draw near to Him. Call out His name. Take seriously, God, I'm giving this up. I'm saying no to internet, no to Facebook, no to TV, no to whatever it might be so that I can spend a few days sitting at the feet of Jesus. I don't care if the laundry needs to be done. Let it stink. If the dish sink gets full, leave it alone. Someone else can do it the next day. Focus on the Lord. Put your priorities first, because the reality is, most of the time, you can do both. But if it comes to one or the other... Remember what Jesus said to Mary. She has chosen the one thing that's most important and it will not be taken away from her and therefore her peace is secure while Martha runs around at this point in her life all up in arms and in chaos. Jesus Christ is supreme. I beg of you, keep your eyes on Him and do not drift away. And if you have, set your anchor back in the Lord Jesus Christ and look to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and take heart because He has overcome this world for you through Jesus Christ's death on the cross let us stand together. Oh Lord, we thank You for the great God that You are. And Father, as we take this time just to worship and to praise Your name, we ask that if anyone is here today and needs prayer partners, we have people, Lord, that love You, that will pray with them all around this building, up front, in back. Help us to confess our distractions. Help us to share what we're going to give up And Lord, we sit back in belief that we will experience and witness marvelous and remarkable things because of our trust in You. We love You. We praise You. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask all these things and together, let us say, Amen.